Welcome to episode 257 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. In 2020, I reinvented myself and grew my business from zero to six figures in eight months. My new book, Small List, Big Results, Launch Successful Offer, No Matter the Size Your Email List, answers the question, Robbie, how did you do that? More importantly, it shares how you can do it too. My promise is that you'll learn a repeatable process that helps you discover likely prospects from within your existing network already know, like, and trust you. But you'll likely have questions about whether it will really work for you. That's why I scheduled a free three-part masterclass this weekend to walk you through the content in the book so you can implement the strategies in your own business. Register at robbysamuels.com forward slash big results. There is no cost to attend. And yes, the replay will be available for 24 hours after each session. Sessions are November 12th, 13th, and 14th from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Again, register at robbysamuels.com forward slash big results. If you haven't yet, take these following steps so you're ready to make the most of this opportunity. First, get your copy of the book. It's currently $1.99 at smalllistbigresults.com. Two, download for free the Big Results Toolkit you'll find the link in the book. And three, start taking action by following the steps in the Wake Up Your Network workbook. Then bring your questions to these masterclasses so you can put these strategies into practice and build a new revenue stream and impact more people's lives. These are Friday, November 12th, when we'll be discussing how you are solving the wrong problem. Saturday, November 13th, it's time to wake up your network to discover likely prospects who already know, like, and trust you. Sunday, November 14th, we'll learn how others have avoided expert syndrome and other mental blocks that may be preventing you from taking action. Register at robbysamuels.com forward slash big results. Again, there is no cost to attend. And yes, the replay will be available for 24 hours after each session. Here's a review of the book from Alyssa Barkin, one of my launch team members. She says, this book is a fantastic tool for anyone who wants to understand what launching a successful offer entails in terms of market and customer research. It's short and to the point with actionable steps and challenges at the end of each chapter. Robbie is very generous with the knowledge he shares, as well as the extra downloadable tools, which are intuitive and easy to use. The stories and examples are relatable, and he is not shy of being vulnerable and sharing his own business struggles and how he overcame them. If you're at the beginning of your business journey wondering if it's possible to make a success out of a launch with a small audience and a network, the answer is yes, and this book will show you how. And I've also received an endorsement review from Melinda Cohen, founder and CEO of the Coaches Council and author of The Confident Coach. She says, this is a true guidebook to grow and serve your audience intentionally, methodically, and authentically. Having coached thousands of entrepreneurs and launched their business, I find the block of, I don't have a list often holds them back. Robbie takes you through the details, strategies, and steps to create big results no matter where you start. 
I love it. He also sprinkles in pitfalls to give you a heads up so you can avoid expensive trial and error mistakes. This is a must read for any entrepreneur ready to take your business to the next level. That's an awesome review. Thank you so much, Melinda. And now onto this week's interview. Today's guest is one of the best connected people in the social good world. She's a serial connector, angel investor, and corporate responsibility expert. She's the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, a communications consultancy focused on the intersection of brands and social impact, providing storytelling, partnership creation, and visibility to corporations, NGOs, and social enterprises. She has over 25 years of experience in marketing, public relations, and sustainability communications, speaking regularly at industry conferences, and contributing to the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Forbes. She's a Vital Voices Global Corporate Ambassador and has received numerous accolades for her voice on social media platforms from Fortune Magazine, Fast Company, and Elle Magazine. She's the author of The Lost Art of Connecting, the Gather, Ask, Do Method for Building Meaningful Relationships, reminding readers that we should connect on a human level and build authentic relationships beyond securing a new job or a new investor for your next big idea. Please join me in welcoming Susan McPherson. Hello, Robbie. It's a joy to be here. Thank you so much. Susan, thanks so much for joining us from your place in Brooklyn, New York. Thrilled to have you here. I love when I get to have fellow authors who write about this topic on the show because I know you'll, you'll shed new light. As you, uh, as you and I talked about a moment ago, the context for the show is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I have been managing teams since about 1999. Uh, and I have to say, it wasn't until about 2006 that I felt like I had at least a semblance of um, knowing what I was doing. Uh, but I did know that one thing I always wanted to transport or impart onto the team that worked for me was they didn't actually work for me. They worked with me. And if I was going to try to make it seem like they worked for me, it wouldn't work and it wouldn't be successful. But I also, um, for years, worked for a company called PR Newswire. And I used to always say to everyone, because I felt this like in my heart, that if we treated each other as well as we treated our clients, everything at the company would be better. And when I founded my company in 2013, uh, eight years ago, this month, actually last month, I will tell you that the entire founding of the company was based on compassion and kindness. So I can honestly say after all these years of quote unquote managing people, it really is at this present time that I feel I finally have it down because it's always leading with compassion and care and kindness and empathy. And now in hindsight, I can see that that roadmap of how I got here. Because people do their best when they're treated with dignity and kindness. And that's what you want. I love it. I love in particular that piece, if we treated each other as well as we did our clients. I mean, yeah. I love well, and that. that. That is how I think, honestly, my business is stayed successful because each employee and many because of the pandemic haven't met each other. They treat each other with such kindness. And that is what makes it worth getting up every day. I mean, yes, the work we do around social impact is so important, but if they didn't treat each other that way, I don't know how good it would be. Mm -hmm. I, I want to wind the clock back a little bit because who you are today uh, you know, didn't come <laughs> from nowhere. And I'm really kind of curious, Susan, who were you um, when you were a kid? Like I'm thinking like playground, 
you know, those years where you you're organizing people, gathering people. Always, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I I was I was the youngest of uh, three kids, and uh, my next sibling was six years older than me, so. I was alone a lot. So I always wanted to be with other people. Um, my parents both went back to, well, excuse me, my father, of course, not of course, but back then it was very typical for the father to work and your mom would stay home. Well, my mom went back to work when I was in first grade. And so when I would come home from school after, after you know, 3 or 4 p.m., there wasn't anyone at home. So I would use any excuse to like stay after school and, you know, do something on the playground or what have you. And I was always involved in things like, you know, we had we didn't have what kids have today. I mean, this was in the 70s, but, you know, Girl Scouts and um, sports. I was a gymnast, but it was always ways to be able to like be with others. Um, yeah. That's probably why this pandemic has been so hard because I love to be around people. Yeah, we have to invent new ways to keep those engaging yes. uh, opportunities to connect, you know, going. I just want to stay with the, this, the, the story thread here from uh, when you were younger because it sounds like you're naturally inclined to be around a lot of other people. But I wonder though, if people witnessed in you or, or just saw in you your ability to, to lead even back then, did anyone give you the opportunity to take on some role? That, you know, just because you, you kept showing up, right. Sometimes showing up is a big piece of that. I honestly, it's hard. I hate to say this, but it's hard to remember. I mean, I, I was never, you know, I wasn't part of the school newspaper, even though I love to write. Mm. I, um, because, you know, my gymnastics throughout high school took up a lot of time. I didn't have those types of opportunity. Again, very different than today where you were just jammed every second of every day. I mean, I would have gymnastics till six and I'd come home and I'd have to do my homework. Um, but you know, I, I always had, I always, when there were opportunities to raise money for causes, even as a teen, I would do that, you know, on weekends and things, whether it was much younger as a lemonade stand or, or further on. And, you know, in my twenties and thirties, whenever I would move to a new city, I would always get involved in a local nonprofit or a civic organization so that I could meet others. I don't know if it was necessarily to lead others, but as you know, I progressed in my career by taking on causes and by taking on supporting organizations that were doing good. I think that led me to at least be in a leadership role because I was the go-to person at companies when they were thinking, oh, who should we sponsor? Who should we fund? What gala should we buy a table at? Oh, Susan will know. So by having that you know, knowledge and, and acumen around the philanthropic sector gave me opportunities to lead. Interesting that your, your, your reasons for doing it weren't about your career, no. but it ended up no. serving your career very well that you had Absolutely. all these relationships in the philanthropic space. Yeah. yeah. And they, they still come back to assist. And I, I serve on a number of nonprofit boards, which I think honestly keeps me real in terms of the work that we do, because it's not like I'm just talking about it. Um, we're actually, I'm doing it and many of people on my team are doing it. What did you think you were going to be when you first started out in your career? <laughs> um, initially, I undergrad, I had a degree in history and political science. And, and you know, in the 80s, that was not a very uh, lucrative kind of thing to, to be well versed in, so to speak. And uh, I ended up working in it for Senator Ted Kennedy. Uh, and then I realized as much as it was a fascinating place to work, I didn't want to work in government. So I went back to grad. I went back to school and went to graduate school for um broadcast journalism. And I didn't want to be on air, but I loved news. I always have been just a news junkie, interested in news. 
And I, so I went to graduate school at BU and then about uh, after the first semester, unfortunately, my mom was killed in a real bad tragedy. And I, my dad, you know, really insisted as gently as he could that I don't, don't drop out. But it was really hard right after that to go back. But he wanted me to have some semblance of kind of normalcy. But my late mom grew up in Boston, so it felt really hard to be there, right? Um, so I never finished the degree. And then I ended up um, getting a job in print journalism, not broadcast journalism. And I ended up at USA Today, which it had only been around for three or four years at that point. But what's interesting is if you were going to pick the most broadcasty, if that was a word, news or you know, newspaper, it would be USA Today. So I started there as a researcher which was a fascinating first you know, big job because it taught me how to ask questions. It taught me how to find out information, to find that needle in a haystack. So my name used to be at the bottom of the, the articles that would go on to the second page, which would be one in each section, life, or I'm sorry, news, sports, life, and money. There'd always be one story. And there was, there was a research team that did all the research, probably way too much information, but um, and then at, at night, I worked at the National Democratic Club to make extra money. <laughs> Your finger on the pulse, I see. Exactly, exactly. And I still, to this day, I mean, you know, obviously the news world has changed, you know, astronomically. Right. Um, but I, you know, I, I couldn't run the company that I do if I wasn't up to date on what's happening politically, culturally, you know, internationally, et cetera, because we have global clients. So you, uh, you, you were working in a company for more than a decade. And then in 2013, you created your company. Actually, I, I worked for 17 years at PR wow. Newswire, but there was a five-year stint in the middle where I went um, and I worked in, at doing marketing and business development and technology companies. I was living in Seattle, but I left PR Newswire in 2010 and I joined a um I joined a communications consulting firm called Fenton, which had been around since the 80s, which primarily served NGOs. And they brought me on to create their corporate responsibility practice. Mm -hmm. I left there in 2013 when I founded my company. Did you already have, you know, a vision and did you already have clients? Did, like, okay, you're, you're shaking your head. No, I'm always curious about <laughs> this moment because a lot of the people I've had on my show, their origin story connects to a downturn in the economy um, where the best choice they had was to work for themselves. But 2013, that wasn't no. the landscape. So, you know, <laughs> leaving the comfort of a job uh, <laughs> to go do your own thing, like, tell us more about that. Cause that sounds like a big challenge to, it, to, have it, to Yes. And I am a complete accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> I left um, basically for the following reason. When you work at a consulting firm, if the talent leaves, you need to leave, meaning you're not going to be successful if, if the people, because what make up a consulting firm is the talent. And if all of a sudden there's an exodus of the really smart people, the writing is on the wall. And I knew I needed to either find a new job or figure something out quickly. And two organizations said, Susan, if you leave, we'll hire you for three or four months. <laughs> and you can go ahead and, and, you know, start on your way. And I figured, well, that would tide me over until I found my next job. And that was in 2013. 
And <laughs> we are eight years later. And I joke that I never would have named it McPherson Strategies because it's my ex-husband's name. And we divorced in 2003. Now, I will say he's a wonderful guy, so I don't have regrets there. However, I would have been a little bit more creative if it was going to be around for eight years. Um, and I am not, I, you know, I have nothing against people who name companies after themselves, but I am not that, you know, that's so not who I am. Um, but now I'm kind of stuck with it. I mean, I guess you could say I could rebrand, but I'd rather use the money to rebrand and pay people better mm -hmm. <laughs> or give them bonuses than. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I, I mean, um, yeah. I love that the people that you would work with who were like, Hey, we'll tide you over for a few months. Well, they, I hadn't worked with them. I just knew them. I knew, oh, you just knew them. them. Yeah. They had never, I'd never worked with them, but what? they decided to, one was global um, citizen year, which is still around. It's a nonprofit in the Bay area. And the other was girl rising, which wow. uh, incredible film and global project to inspire um, putting effort and attention into helping girls get educated around the world. So when both you, of them. when you made this shift, Susan, um, you know, how did you think about the network you already had? Did you lean into them? Absolutely. The first thing I did was I sent an email the first week to everybody I'd ever met and said, I'm going to be doing this. Don't know how long, but if you know of organizations looking for X, Y, and Z, I'm your person. And then about five or six months later, um, a consultant I know took me by her side and said, I'm going to give you some advice. And that's the advice truly is what has made us successful. And that is we, we meaning women have a tendency, and this is a generalization, of course, but have a tendency when the things are good to hoard like squirrels to save for a rainy day, to save for a snow day, to save for that impending doom. And of course I was convinced I was going to be a bag lady in six months. She said, when you have that, that inclination, do the opposite and actually hire, find people who are good at doing the things that you're not good at and you will soar. And that's what I did. And I surrounded myself early on with people that could do the things that I just sucked at, excuse me for saying that, but um, you know, it, 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 and it's a smart thing. And when people say what's advice you can give to other entrepreneurs, I always say, find people who do the things that you're not good at or that you don't like because that way you can focus on what you're good on. Yeah, a lot of us are, are bogged down by the uh, administrivia yeah. um, of running yeah. our businesses. And that's yeah. not the part that we love. It's not the reason we yeah. got into all of this. Yeah. And uh, yes, as, as my business has grown, I have adulted. That's uh, how I think of it. Adulting the systems and processes of my business so I that more people can support me. Um, how did you hone in on who your ideal client was going to be though, as you were doing this? Was it just based on who originally reached out to you or did you get picky over time? Um, you know, definitely we don't just work with anyone, but our swim lane is social impact communications. So right there, that kind of delineates a certain subset. What has happened over the last eight years though, is the world of impact has grown companies. What used to say was kind of a nice to have is now a must have. Nonprofit organizations and foundations are getting much more intentional and deliberate and strategic about how they communicate. So, you know, yes, we've continued to be in that swim lane, but that swim lane is widened um, because more and more organizations are, are um, wanting to, to invest in these types of services. But I will say that um, the way we are very, um, what's the word? 
I want, I always want to make sure that if we are working with these companies or these NGOs, they're actually doing what they're say they're going to do. So, and I, I, I dread using the overused term authenticity, but I think that's basically what I'm describing. Um, And, you know, obviously early on, I, you know, I wasn't quite that specific. Um, I knew it was impact and I knew it was communications, but um, today, for instance, you know, we won't take a client less than four or five months because it's just too much to get people up to speed. And, 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 you know, financially it's not, it just doesn't make sense. But back eight years ago, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I'd be like, sure, I'll work with you for three months. Yeah, no, I mean, isn't it interesting? Uh, the, the life cycle and journey of an entrepreneur as your businesses mature oh, yeah. and you can start to build a referral network. So the things that you don't want to do, you can refer out, you become better known for things. So it sounds like you really created a beautiful niche. What led to writing the book? Well, it's interesting. I, since like you so um, clearly uh, witnessed or, 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 or knew, I was very uh, engaging and active as a child and very into connecting with others and meeting others and loved, you know, I should have been a Yenta, uh, you know, if, if I was alive 200 years ago in, in, in Russia. Um, basically, I and I've actually fixed up uh, personally um, several, actually four couples that have been married ever since. Um, so, but the book is a is a business book. But I, um, over the years, people kept saying to me, "Susan, you're so good at introducing people. You're so good at connecting people. When are you going to write a book and explain how you do that?" And all I kept thinking in the back of my mind was. Who wants to hear my voice for 225 pages? So the 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 insecure Susan talked the secure Susan out of doing it for years. And then in 2007, I went away with seven girlfriends to a uh, for a retreat in the Catskill Mountains up in in about two hours north of New York City. And our goal that weekend was to determine what our elevator speeches were. Or in other words, you know, really articulate what our superpowers or secret sauces were. And it was that weekend that I finally said, hi, I'm Susan McPherson and I'm a serial connector. And of course, as soon as I said it, I thought I should pee in my pants because it sounded so ridiculous. But then, of course, 16 years later, I wrote a book on on that very subject. Uh, and I can say, you know, even a few years ago, I saw the trend from our revenue. Um, 95% of our business at my company has been inbound. So what that taught me is all the connections I have made since, you know, my 20, in my 20s, my 30s, and a good part of my 40s actually have come back to assist the business. So it's not a, it's not a futile uh, effort to put time and interest and energy into making connections, reconnecting, helping others connect, because it may seem like work when you're doing it, but it is going to come back and help you excel in everything and anything you do. I love that you broaden, even just reading the subtitle, uh, it's not just, you know, doing the networking to get the, whatever the next thing is, a job or an investor. I think, um, you know, we all have experiences of being on LinkedIn and someone out of the blue who haven't talked to in a lot, five plus years, basically sends us their resume, tells us they're looking for work. And you're just like, what? <laughs> um, you know, it's, and, and, and how do you, how do you think about nurturing your network? So I'm actually always curious. This is one of the questions I always ask is about, you know, clearly you're going to stay in touch with your closest contacts, your closest friends. How do you think about the second and third layers out, the people that you might see once a year at a conference or you work with five years ago, but you don't have a reason to work with them now? Again, these are people you enjoy. 
These are yeah. people that you like hanging out with. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you nurture and sustain connections with people knowing that you can't, you know, have one on one time? During with Especially during a global pandemic. Right. Um, I, you know, I, I am blessed with a, a really good memory and I also have a habit when somebody pops in my brain, yes, there's that side of me that says, oh, I'll get to it later. But the other side of me always wins out that's like, no, you won't get to it later. Do it now. So I use whatever technology is at hand and I pick up the damn phone or darn phone, excuse me. <laughs> um, and it is the type of thing where, um, if I, I just sending the bat signal out is, is the intentionality of that is a gift um, that I feel that I'm not only giving myself because I'm reaching out to somebody, but I'm sending a bit of joy out, out there. Um, and, you know, during the pandemic, I, I was totally alone. I don't, I don't have a significant other. I don't have parents. I don't have kids. So that was my lifeline. Um, and, you know, granted, I would have my team meetings, you know, via Zoom and Microsoft Teams, et cetera. But there was something to be said about every day in the morning when I'd be out on a walk, I would send missives out. Uh, and I think of it like my parents, when I was growing up, they would clip the daily newspapers, five or six of them, and go to their manual typewriters and send off little like, this made me think of you or thinking of you or wishing you well or wish you were here. Um, and so it's today's version of that. So I would say that that is how I maintain. The other thing I have a, a deep passion for, and that is, is connecting people that have never met in my network that by just by doing that, you actually are staying in touch. And, you know, we do, you know, we, we get sour on social media, um, for all the right reasons. Um, we know, you know, just the wall street journal horror show about, um, the issues, Facebook, has been causing, you know, young teen girls, et cetera, but there are positives to it. And I look at Twitter and LinkedIn and, and Facebook as an opportunity to showcase others. Um, yes, I wrote a book, so I have to be talking about the book, but there's the joy I get is showcasing others. So other people can learn about them. Cause I don't, you know, even though they're my connections, I don't own them. They belong to everybody and they belong to themselves. All right. So let me see if I can pull out these things. I think I heard three right. really solid things. <laughs> One was the idea that you take action when you think about something that you, 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 don't, you, you, you know yourself well enough to know that if you defer, the action may not be taken. And so you just, you're like, oh, I thought of this person. So you're like, let's just reach out right now. You also Absolutely. built in uh, a routine so that even during a pandemic, you had a routine that when during your walk, you were going to reach out to people. So you had a time of day where you were thinking about doing these activities. Um, and you were, you were, oh, I just blanked because now I'm thinking of like this. I was like, well, there's four things. Um, I love the intentionality around this. I love that you're not just leaving it to chance. You're open to serendipity around it, but you're also creating some systems and intentionality. The piece that you said about your parents clipping the papers and going to a manual typewriter. And we think about how easy it is today to like share an article with a note. <laughs> It's so much easier. Oh my and, God, they um, did it every day. I would literally have to buy more real estate for my bowl of cereal because there would be the five local newspapers and yesterday or the day before's New York Times spread out on the table all the time. That's amazing. I mean, that just shows you that you learned how the importance of doing that, right? The skill of it, but also the importance of it that it was sort of a philosophy in your family that that was a thing. And now you're, you're, you know, the th thinking of you these days, thinking of you can just be, I'm Googling something I know you'd be interested in just so I can 
like think to reach out to you with something interesting. It doesn't have to be stumbling across it anymore. Um, okay. I this is I I love these little pieces, and I do think that uh, social media can double-edged sword. It's a tool, uh, but it can have some real benefits. And <clears throat> during the pandemic, I mean, it's so interesting you're talking about the very uh, real challenges of of staying connected. I actually feel that. I have made more connections and deeper connections in the last 18 months than the three years before. And I'm not a shy wallflower. Like I love meeting people. I'm constantly out and about. Um, but there was something about the sustained cont- continuity of like meeting regularly. I, I, I had a lot more regular recurring social gatherings and networking mm-hmm. and, and holding space that before might've been, you know, once a year or, a dinner now and again, or, you know, a monthly meeting, but I didn't go every month. <laughs> so I just think it was easier to like deepen connections because we were meeting on a regular basis. Did you find yourself kind of gravitating to some of the same people over and over again and like that kind of thing? Or were you more just like broadly reaching out to your network on a regular basis? I think I was the second broadly reaching out. And then I put together a Friday night gathering for about 40 women. And, you know, on some Friday nights, we'd have 30 and other Friday nights, we'd have five. Um, And it was and then people would invite others to join. And it was just a gathering. Sometimes people would come in their pajamas and some people would, you know, come from just going out. And it was really just a way to kind of stay connected. I mean, I hate to overuse that term, but that's I know I love it, though. I um March uh 13th, 2020, I hosted my first virtual happy hour and I've held it every Friday at five since five. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like that idea of like building a community around it. I mean, it, my business shuttered. Uh, I was teaching people how to network at conferences. That's the book that I wrote. That's the topic for my TEDx. That was my group coaching program. So that that wasn't needed. <laughs> um, eye contact, business cards, shaking hands, body language was not the the, the skills of the day, yeah. but uh, I launched that it's a free event and I'm still hosting it. And that uh, really helped me relaunch several new revenue streams. And my business grew to six figures in eight months with the support of my network. Amazing. So, isn't it right? It's like, Congratulations. All these thank you. Um, and my subsequent move to Philadelphia is because we were finally able to buy a home. So, you know, this is all these, all these little things that fall in place. Yeah. Um, I, I always um, like having a question um, about um, like, as you're thinking about your network, is there anything that you're going to keep? Like now that you have all these new things that are going on, you know, pandemic related, are you going to keep any of the new things that you've started to do? Or like, are you just waiting for it to get back to, I don't know. I don't even know what the old way even is would look like these days, but yeah. What are your thoughts? I mean, I have a million thoughts on this, but one um, I think, And I think a lot of leaders should be thinking more about instead of how are we going to go back and recreate as opposed to how can we disrupt and create new systems and new ways to do things. So instead of having to, you know, go back to the office, what about thinking about what the new office looks like? You know, maybe it's a monthly gathering of your employees somewhere, a resort in, you know, Mexico. I mean, I'm being, you know, somewhat silly. Obviously, it it all depends on what type of business you run and you know, whether you have the means. Um, but, you know, I keep reading about how company leaders are thinking or talking about how they're going to get their their employees back in the office instead of thinking about how do we tap into a new future? 
and so I think for me, I mean, my company, everybody has been virtual since 2013. So we didn't have this Herculean change. I mean, the change, of course, was when a new employee started, I didn't get to meet them in real life um, and, and vice versa, the other team members. But um, I think if anything, uh, we're going to continue being virtual. We've always been. Uh, and my checking in with everyone I did prior to the pandemic. So I don't think I would necessarily do less of that going forward. I personally, I think my taste for, you know, very crowded big events has waned. So I'm not very excited about those. Uh, but I don't know many people who are very excited unless maybe, you know, that could also be how old I am. <laughs> um, but I think if anything, I'm what I'm most optimistic about is I think this notion of one intentionality in terms of our relationships and how important they are, we're not going to let them kind of just slide by anymore because we know what it was like this last year and a half to not be able to be together it physically, not be able to have eye contact. And two, I think people are much more, and again, I tend to look at the world through rose-colored glasses, but I think people are, are thinking about how they can make the, better, the, the world a better place, at least the world that I, the people that I surround myself, they, they, they want to do better and they want to help people be better. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is where um, we can practice what we preach around uh, showing up for people, you know, um, living our values in this, in this way, as opposed to before being busy and not building time. I actually, um, I don't know why I'm thinking of this right now, but I recently had an icebreaker question for one of my events, uh, two of my events. I did the same question. Uh, if you had an extra five hours a week, how would you spend it? So I'm going to actually ask you this question because I, this has been really illuminating the answer. So let's say you had some extra time now that you've, you started to shift things around your life. What would you be spending this extra time on? Well, I've, I've actually been thinking about that a lot because once the book, you know, launched and I was doing three book talks a day, all of a sudden there were days where I didn't have a book talk. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? So I am actually um, working on kind of the, the, how do I say this? The future of my company. Um, I'm 56 now. I figure I'll probably have 10 more years and then who knows. So I'm giving, I'm actually using that time to actually start to think of some sort of secession plan. Um, and that is meaningful for my, my team members Two, um, my dog, uh, had ACL surgery in May and she came home at the end of July. She couldn't be home before that because she couldn't be on hardwood floors. And I have hardwood floors in my home. And, you know, four months without her, I'm now, you know, she's six and a half. I mean, she may be around maybe five more years, six, maybe. So I am trying to spend as much time with her um, and give her as much love as possible. And obviously I get a lot of love back. I love this. It sounds like not only do you know how you would spend your time, but you're actually making steps towards doing it, yeah. um, which is usually my follow-up. It's like, right? Like, <laughs> when I'm talking to entrepreneurs, um, my yeah. Friday night, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and I'm like, you are in charge of your own schedule. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And I think my team is too. I mean, you know, I, there's a lot of Saturday and Sundays I work, but I don't, I certainly don't expect my team to, um, but you know, if they do, and then they want to take a Wednesday to go, you know, that's totally fine. I mean, we're all adults. And I have always found that if you give people trust, they are much more likely to earn it than the other way around. Yeah. So uh, this is my, my wrap up question. 
um, let's say we are uh, connecting a year from now and you are telling all the amazing uh, things that have happened to you in the past year, what are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking forward to the most in the year ahead? I'm looking forward to hugging friends. Um, uh, I, I'm looking forward to getting back to travel a bit. Um, I used to travel almost 100, 100, between 100 and 120,000 miles a year. So I haven't been on a plane since March of 2020. Do I want to go back to that craziness? No, of course not. Uh, but I would like to, you know, get back and, and visit places. Um, one of the boards I serve on is the UN High Commission for Refugees. And every year I used to take a trip to a refugee hotspot. And obviously that doing so would enable me to be a better advocate, to be a better fundraiser. Uh, so I'd like to get back and do that. And sadly, this world has no shortage of refugee hotspots. Um, but if I'm going to be, again, successful at that, I need to actually see it up close and personal and actually meet people who are indeed facing such struggles. Um, it's, it's a lot harder to, to do that, I mean, from a, from a Zoom room. Yeah. So um, how, how I can't wait to celebrate all that with you. How oh, would you. you. Uh, it's and I also want to wish you well on your book because Thank I mean you. that's going getting a lot of attention and hopefully attracting a lot of new people to you a lot of rekindling a lot of connections I imagine as well. Um, it, when did what, what was the month that it, the book came out? It dropped something? in March, the end of March. Wow, so yeah. It, so you ride uh, that wave a little longer. <laughs> exactly. Well, and the audio book just dropped two two weeks ago. I, oh. I did the recording, um, which I have to say was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Three and a half yeah. days in the closet. And if you if you like gurgle or your tummy makes a noise, you have to start all over. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so if people like audiobooks, you get to listen to this voice for, you know, six or seven hours. Which is interesting uh, after you said you weren't sure if anyone wanted to listen to you. We were writing for 25 <laughs> pages. You now have audiobook. I think yeah. that's progress for you as well. Exactly. It was it was one of the more challenging things I've, I can honestly say I've done in my adult life. It's very, very, for, for anybody who's contemplating doing it, um, It, I mean, I gather I from everybody who knows me who said, oh, I'm so glad you did it. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, really? But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a challenge, but because you can't just read, you have to like be, you have to have inflection. You have to be enthusiastic for three and a half days. Um, yeah. But That's yeah, awesome. the book, the book um, you know, it, it has, it's resonated, I think, because of the pandemic more than it would have had it just been normal times. Yeah, my book is, uh, uh, my ebook comes out October 31st, which at this oh, time will, will just come out when this airs. And, uh, um, what's it called? It's Small List, Big Results, Launch a Successful yeah. Offer, No Matter the Size of Your Email List. Congratulations. Thank you. And so, I, I don't know if you caught that. It's it's launching on my birthday on Halloween. Oh, fantastic. That's my wife's favorite holiday. So a wonderful nod to her. Um, <laughs> but yes, you know, people come out of the woodwork uh, when you're doing these things. And it's a great, great reason to reconnect with people. Speaking of which, how can people find you and follow your work? Sure. Well, on all the interwebs, I can be found at Susan McP1, you know, on Twitter, on Instagram. And then my company is called McPherson Strategies. So it's mcpstrategies.com. And then the book can be purchased anywhere online that you purchase books from or your favorite bookstore uh, or at thelostartofconnecting.com. Brilliant. We will have all those links in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Robbie, it's been a joy. What a wonderful way to spend a, to spend a Monday evening. 
I hope you enjoyed that interview with Susan. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 257. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions so you can share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.